This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 16, and the quote of the day is from Jerry Rice, who said, today I will do what others won't, so that tomorrow I can do what others can't. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ruffini, and we're coming at you with information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And I got my buddy Eric Hernandez on the show. And Eric is the drummer and brother of Bruno Mars. And Eric is getting ready to play on the Super Bowl halftime show in two days. So it's amazing to have him on the show right now. Uh, we get the inside scoop of what's going on with the Super Bowl, which is cool. And he talks about playing on some of the biggest stages in the world, from the Grammys to the Super Bowl to playing at sold-out stadiums, and also talks about a lot about the music industry and ways to be successful, things to keep in mind while you're traveling up that ladder, trying to climb that ladder to be successful. Uh, we talk about what it's like to work with his brother. And Eric is, you know, he's in one of the most successful bands in the world right now, so he definitely has a lot of insight and he is just a super nice, super humble guy inviting me over to his house to do this interview, and I couldn't be more thankful for it. So uh, you'll hear a little bit of noise in the interview throughout, and that's his son, Lil Panda. Uh, he's he's uh, making some noise, building some Legos and stuff, so that was super cool. We got to hang out while we were doing the interview. And uh, yeah, so without without further ado, this is Eric Hernandez. Listen up, and you might even want to take some notes. Check it out. All right, so I'm in Los Angeles. I'm at Eric Hernandez's house. Eric, thanks so much for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for uh, thinking of me and uh, having interest. Absolutely, absolutely. So you are. Uh, we were just talking about you're getting you're prepping to prepping to do the Super Bowl. Yes. So, uh, what's that like? Getting ready for that? You know, uh, as it, as it's getting closer, it's it's getting real surreal, and and it's. I wouldn't say nerve nerve wracking, but I'd say more like. Holy shit! I'm doing the Super Bowl, you right. know, and uh, it's starting to kick in um, because it's one of those things. As a musician, <clears throat> you watch, you know, people on TV and other peers doing performances like this, mm -hmm. as big as this, you know, Grammy, Super Bowl, and whatnot. <clears throat> and to 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 be able to be on that stage is pretty crazy, and it's finally kicking in because it's what two and a half weeks away. Right, right, right. And you've, I mean, you've done you've done big shows before. You yes. Know, is this uh, is this the is this the biggest one? Is this the crowning crowning one? This is the crowning jewel, I think, because uh, I used to say being able to do the Grammys was the biggest for a musician, you right? Know, because it's it's the Super Bowl for music, <clears throat> if you will. Um, but I think that uh, going to the actual Super Bowl is even bigger, right? Um, because you know. For one, it's it's pretty special to be invited, and, and I think it's pretty neat and really cool and humbling that we're invited at such a early stage in the game in this industry. You know, even my brother as the artist. I mean, the fact that we've pretty much only been on the map since 2010 and we're already attending the Super Bowl and performing. I think that's pretty pretty amazing. Yeah. And uh, you know, and we don't take it for granted. Uh, we realize that it's it's a blessing and, and it's something that we're excited to do. But yeah, I think this this is going to be the, the topping on the cake. I mean, I've been able to do the Grammys three times. And, and I used to think, wow, this is the Super Bowl for music, musicians. But I think it's cr 
crazy we're going to the Super Bowl. Right, right. So, and uh, pardon the noise in the background out there, listeners, because that's my son playing Lego blocks <laughs> while we uh, do this interview. <laughs> he's gonna build us something cool by the end, I think. He's yes. got he, he's he's got his eye on something. So, can we do a do this, Leo? Let's put put this here. Build it over here. So the uh, where were we? we were talking, I was going to ask something about the uh, about the Super Bowl. Um, so, uh, but just the fact that you get to play with your brother too, you know, that's got to be an amazing thing in and of itself too. Where it's like you're not doing it with some artist that maybe you're just like just hired to play, and you know, right? It's you get to do that with somebody that you grew up with, and you know, that's that's got to be a, a cool feeling as well. It's it's beyond cool. I mean, I look at it this way. The fact that I'm a touring musician, traveling the world, playing drums as as a living is is amazing in itself and doing it with my brother, even if we never made it to the Super Bowl, I couldn't have asked for a better gig and a better opportunity because it's fun it's amazing to be able to have these experiences in life, especially with someone who dreamt of it as a kid. But now to share it with a family member, even if it was my sister or my dad or my mom, if that was the case, it's just, it's amazing. And the right. fact that I'm doing that. So this, again, it's like, yeah, this is Super Bowl thing is huge. But just the fact that I get to work with my brother, I think is, is the coolest. So I don't even, I haven't even put that thought into it. Like oh, I'm doing a Super Bowl with my brother. It's just natural for me now. Right, right. The fact that I work with my brother and I get to do this and, and do interviews with people like you and... And, and talk about my music and my drums. It's all because working with my brother. Now I think that's the coolest part. Right. So the Super Bowl thing is, is to me now is like the next step in my career. And and regardless of who it's with, but man, yeah, just like working and playing drums in general and this career, doing it with my brother, whether it's a Super Bowl or just doing a show. Right. In a pub. Mm-hmm. It, it's the best. I mean, I'm all about family. As yeah, you can yeah. see, I have my son here with us. Family and I always see pictures. There's always you always put pictures of it. I love how you show like your uh, next to your drums. You always have a picture of your wife and your son. You know, and it's it's nice to see that. All right, you're on this huge scale. You know, you're in front of all these people, and you know you're you're a rock star. You know, and that but you're but you're humble about it, and you realize what's you know what's important. And it's like at the end of the day, family. You know. Family's everything, you know. I come from a, a big family. I come from a musical family, um, and now to see my son grow, and, and especially it's especially hard on me being a, a working, traveling musician because I don't get to spend as much time as I'd like to with him. Um, but yeah, family's everything to me. And, and if you follow me or anyone follows me, you'll see that I keep my family first, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, and now he's he's taking an interest in, in drums and music, nice. and uh, it's pretty awesome to see him going through things I went through as a kid, and uh, and starting even at a younger age. You know, I, I picked up drums, and my interest for it at four. He's three and a half, but it's been since I put sticks in his hands at six months, and he was able to carry them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been since two, two and a half that he's had his kit, and that he bangs on them and. He loves being there, you know. Daily, I have to take him and put him behind some drums because he asked me, "Let's go right. play drums." Nice. So, nice. yeah, it's awesome. So you talked. You talked about you started playing when you were 
four. So yeah. let's let's kind of go through that. I was I always like to get the backstory of how somebody got started and you know how you made the the leap from starting at four to now playing at the Super Bowl. You know I know that that's a long journey, but like, but how did you get into it? How did you get started? How did you really develop this craft? Well, as I said earlier, you know music is in my blood. It's it it's been in my family. You know my grandfather from my grandfather. Um, and, and it's been passed on from generation to generation. My dad was a working percussionist um, when I was born. And in the early years, two, three, four, he started taking me to his gigs. You know, I think there was babysitting issues at the time. So I'd go and he was, <clears throat> he had a huge, massive percussive setup, Latin percussion. Um, and he'd sit me under his it's called a toede rack, mm-hmm. and toedes are our Polynesian percussion, because uh, he worked in, in a show in Hawaii that featured hula dancers, Polynesian dancers, so he needed, you know, the instruments, and so he had the Polynesian toedes, but it was the best thing for me to sit under. So I'd sit under there and hide under there while he's, he was performing, and I mean, basically had rhythm also beaten into me, because those things were loud. Right. I don't even think I had earplugs at the time, and... <laughs> And it's pretty crazy, but for some odd reason, as much as I love my dad and I loved what he did and I was fascinated, I was really extra fascinated by the drummer um, playing, you know, traps and, mm-hmm. and set. So I would always sit under my dad's rig, but I'm looking to my left. I remember I could picture it and the guy had a massive, big black pearl kit. I'll never forget. And I would just stare and stare and watch all night and my dad saw that you know because my dad would show off in front of me right. he's like oh man my kid's not even looking at me so uh he saw that and at four he bought me my first kit it was a legit like uh, it might have been a pro uh i think it was actually yeah it was a pearl set and uh it was a regular drum set it wasn't a kid set like my kid has today because mm-hmm. like, now they make these small little kits but it was a massive set so i remember sitting and i couldn't reach the kick drum but I would just play behind it every day for hours and hours. And until I could reach the kick drum, I was using, I remember using the floor tom f- for those low bass notes, you know, and uh, I would be able to, to play little rhythms here and there, and, and it was pretty cool. And then once I hit that, was able to reach the, the bass drum and play this drum set, I remember watching cartoons. And that was my thing. I'd come home from school and turn on TV, and Scooby-Doo was my cartoon when I was a kid. And as soon as that intro came on, Scooby-Doo-Doo, and the, the, the beat kicked in, I kicked in with it. And it was, it was kind of funny, because in my mind, because I watched what my dad did, in my right. mind, Scooby-Doo was my gig. Right, right, right. So every time that show came on, I played with the soundtrack. If there was music going on you know, during, during the, the scenes, I was in there. And, and I played a bunch of cartoons, but I, Scooby-Doo always sticks out with me for some reason. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so then, you know, it went from that to I would enter school contests, or I I do like when in elementary school and they had I remember they'd have like show and tell. I my dad would lug my whole drum set over there and and I'd be I'd play for the kids. So it's it's just been in me, man, since four years old. And then uh, you know it transitioned. Hey Liam, see he's he's got the rhythm in him. Yeah. It transitioned from from that to you know when I started playing professionally with my dad and. and and we can get into that um, if you like, but uh, yeah, that's when it started. Four. Let's get into it. I like Let's that. get into it. <clears throat> so basically, 
it was I was all about drums. Drums was everywhere in my household. We always had if the garage didn't have cars in it, there was a little mock stage <clears throat> and and there was a drum set, percussion, guitars, a piano laying around, and we had a jukebox in the living room out and, and we always were able to put on music and play along to stuff. Um my father had was an executive producer and a performer in a 1950s, 60s review in Waikiki, Hawaii. It was called The Love Notes Show. And basically, they would run through all the hits of 50s and 60s and, and reproduce the groups. They dressed like them, costume changes up until Elvis Presley days, the R&B, James Brown, the Jackson Five. So... Uh, and at one point we, we went all the way through the 70s. Well, anyway, he had that show going and I was still too young and I was running his ticket booth. I was helping, you know, me and my sister would run the ticket booth, sell tickets mm -hmm. for the show. I'd help out a grandfather with, with an uncle's doing lights, right. you know. So every night I heard the show and, and it, it was, I heard it so much that I knew the show mm -hmm. as a kid. And I would always say, hey, dad, I want to play because what they did was... <clears throat> At the time, they, they had sequencers, which nowadays we refer to as tracks, backing tracks, Pro Tools. But they had sequencers, and, and these, these, this music was laid out in sequences. And so they had the whole show mapped out with drums. And it was cheesier sounds, some cool stuff like Lindrum sounds, but cheesier sounds than we have today. Mm -hmm. um, bad samples, I guess. But uh, so... They would have a setup of a kick drum, a hi-hat, and a snare, and one cymbal. It was a standing kit. And the guys would take turns standing behind the kit and playing, including my father. And some songs, they needed five guys up front, so there was nobody on the drums. And you just heard the drums because it was in the, in the sequence. Right. So I, I said, hey, Dad, let me play drums. I can, I can do it. I know the show. And it wasn't until about 10 years old, he's like, you know what? Okay. Let's try you out. Put me in a tuxedo, and I, I have the picture, and, and, and I'm standing up and playing, and I killed it, you nice. know? And it was, it was, it was simple music, it was, you know, doo-wop music and some 1960s R&B. I got through it. Anyway, I got the gig at 10. My dad put me in, put me on payroll. I started my savings. Uh, it was my first professional working gig as a drummer, and eventually I worked my way in to where I... My drum set got brought in, and I was actually playing a real kit, you know, not standing up. Right. I actually got to play, and and, <clears throat> and then I got into. That's when I really started developing my skills, and and I started listening to more funk stuff, Tower of Power, or whatever was on the radio at the time with the Top Forty, and I started playing my gig wrong. Because I was, oh, I want to play this funkier beat, extra backbeat here. Right. These fills that weren't fitting to the music of the genres that we were playing and and the time period. So I used to have because uh, I'm playing like with Gar like the Garibaldi doo-wop licks go exactly. <laughs> you know, and I started have these guys looking back at me. And they, they, the musical director's like, hey, what are you doing? And but I, I was like, oh, I'm the I'm the executive producer's kid. I'll just do this, and then. I would get complain. I used to play like no dynamics, and my snare was all. I always I had a piccolo snare for a '50s gig. <laughs> I remember, cause I loved the way it cracked. And uh, man, they used to look back at me and, and give me the evil eye, and that snare is too loud, or they'd hold their ear, 
and I was a kid, so I, right. I would get more upset and my feelings hurt, so I'd play louder. Oh yeah? You think right. you're gonna tell me to, right. to shut my snare down? And, and then for some reason, fortunately, at a, at a young age still, it kicked in, you know, stop acting like this, what are you doing? Bless you, Bless you. What are you doing? This is not, you're not playing the gig right. And I was able to find this out at an early age. You know, I was probably 12, 13 by this point. And I started to figure out that, you know what? I need to play what's required of me. And, you know, I've, I had a bunch of consultations from my dad. Because right. they tried and they tried to hammer it into me. But I'd say yes and I'd take advantage of it. And I'd still play mm -hmm. what I wanted to play, what I thought was cool. And then I realized what's cooler is if I can play what, play the music. Right. And I use that till this day, you know, and, and that's one of the things that I take pride in is, you know, I try my best not to overplay. Of course, I get excited like anybody else, but I also want to play the music appropriately and I mm -hmm. want to support the artist, whether it's my brother or someone else I work with. I learn the music verbatim and right. if they want to venture out, we venture out. Mm -hmm. But if they don't want it, then... You know, we got to stick to the script because that's what I'm paid to do. So going back to those days, that was my gig. And I did that till I was about 17, 16, 17. And then I ended up other, with other gigs that I piggybacked off of that because people saw me and recognized that I was a young drummer and in Hawaii. So I was picking up gigs because people were fascinated that at my age, I was able to hang with a band and, and right, stuff right. like that. So how you were talking about playing what's right for the music and, and you know, backing up the the artist and not playing for yourself but playing for the for the song. How do you suggest people practice that? It's because it's kind of like the intangible. It's not like playing Paradiddles at two twenty. You right. know, it's something that it's more of like a feel and a and a an intangible thing. So how 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 did you practice it, or did you just learn it over time? I learned it over time, but I also, <clears throat> I think what helped was, it's a two-part thing. What helped was being, able, being thrown into a show environment, I think, at a young age really helped. Because it wasn't like it was my garage band and we were just playing. I was in an actual show that had a map. You know, it's like, okay, and segues and, and, <clears throat> and, and actually performing songs and, and performing. So... You, you needed to follow the roadmap for the show. And being a kid and, 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 and fortunately being in a, what's the word, uh, where I'm, I'm willing to learn and I'm, I'm at that learning stage. So it's kind of like they hit me at the, at the right time when I was young and showed me like, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. And I started, I realized that was what I was supposed to do. So I right. went with it. So I think starting at a young age for me helped me develop that and realizing that that's what's appropriate. So I, I, in today's day and age, I'd say, <clears throat> or I'd say to right now, if I was to audition for an artist, I'd learn their record mm -hmm. verbatim as best as I can. Even if... If you, if you can get wise with electronics, if there's sounds that you need, make it sound like their record because that's what you want to give them. Because ultimately, if what I realize, like, for example, a Bruno Mars show, I'll use that because it's obvious. These fans that come out 
why do they come to our show? Because they liked what they heard on the radio. They where they bought the album and they liked the album. It's super, it's really fun for us as musicians, and we get bored uh, of arrangements, or we get bored of the song. We want to just venture out or, or make it new or make it exciting. But a lot of times we end up doing that for us. Right. You know what I mean? When the ticket holder came to hear what they love. And sometimes it's easy for us to forget that, especially when you're on a long tour and you play it night after night after night. And it's like, man, I'm tired of playing just the way you are, right. you know, or I'm tired of playing lazy song. But the reality is that crowd, that audience member may have finally got a ticket to the show and is hearing it for the first time live. And if, if you stray too far, sometimes they're like, hey, that's not that's, that's not how I like I love that song. Right. So unless you have an artist and I'm rambling a little bit, but unless you have an artist that wants to do remix versions or these crazy arrangements, then yeah, that's what you do. Right. That's what your artist wants to do. You do what your boss that pays you to do, you do that. But my point in being is that it's it's good to, like it's great when guys get together and they shed and they play, and it, it's amazing when you can do certain things, but it's real amazing when you can hold a groove down mm -hmm. and play the song. I get enjoyment out of playing in the arena and being able to see as far back as I can and see someone nodding to the groove and nodding to the beat and they're with me on the two and four, you know, right. clapping because they feel it. And to me, that's much more uh, uh, enjoyable for me because it's, it's cool to, to show a fancy lick and, and, and stuff like that and, and get a quick response. But man, to get someone feel you the whole night is amazing. Yeah. You know, and then they get what they want. Mm -hmm. And then there's something to they be, get what they paid for. They get what they pay for and there's something right. to be said about being able to give people what they paid for. Right. You know, that's a that's a skill in itself. But <clears throat> how do you practice for that? I think you you just you listen. You know, I I, I listened to an interview that that Abe Laborio Jr. did recently. Uh it was an online interview, and he says, man, I've got the greatest job in the world, because I love just playing drums, and I love sitting back, I love listening, I get to hear the guitar player play, I get to hear the bass player, what he's doing, the vocalist, keys, and I was like, that's brilliant, man, because you know what, he's, he's acknowledging that his job is back there being the foundation, setting the pace, and laying down a the groundwork so that everyone can put the color on top. Yes, right. we, we can be colorful with drums, that's right. our job. And we have that ability, but it, it is it's pretty brilliant what he's saying. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about it, and I'm and I relate to that. Like I was like, yeah, he's totally right. Like I couldn't have put it better. It's nice to sit back. Oh, listen to what what the bass player just played. Ooh, that's sick. Yeah. Oh man. Ooh, that chord progression. Oh man, amazing. And and here I am, and I'm laying that solid foundation. To me, that. I get gratification out of that. Rather than stepping on everybody's toes. And just, Rather than stepping on... Hey, man, look at... I can do yeah. that. Check this thing out. And I, you know. And I did that as a kid. I mean, you know... I think we all have. We all time. have. And I did I that I still do it. And, like, once in a while, you, like, catch oh, yeah. yourself for a second. You're like, wait a minute. Look. Oh, trust me. Yeah. And I, I watch YouTube, and I see these new licks, and I'm like, oh, that sounds good. And I'll practice, and I'll try to, I'll try to rip it as off as best as I can. And I, I might even do it in the show, because I, I thought, oh, that would work good right here. And, I have Bruno looking back at me, and then he'll tell me like, "Hey, you never did that lick before." I'm like, "Yeah, what'd you think? Don't do it again." Don't do it again. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, and I appreciate that. Right. right. Okay. You know, he's like, "Yeah, it sounds great, but uh, no, don't do it again, because 
it, it, it's covering what I was doing with vocally and, and I'm like, all right, I respect that. Right. So, you know, it all depends. I mean, there are, I know the, of some artists that want that band to be busy back there and right. more power to them and, you know, but I, I think, think... And, you know, there's a time and a place for... Absolutely. For everything. Feature, the, feature the, that band member and give them that opportunity, mm-hmm. you know? So, I think it's just about going, like, listen to what Abe just said, what I, as I use an example, and being a great listener. Sometimes as drummers, we forget and we just hear us and we hear this cool thing we can do or we, you know, you got to be able to do what you're doing, let go of what you're playing and hear everyone else. And then you'll see that that's beautiful music, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. And, and, and that's, that's what I'd, I'll say, just the ability to be a good listener, but also be solid and, and dynamic, man, because... If you're not dynamic, then you can't even hear what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see that? There's a graphic on Facebook. It's like two drummers side to side, and one has all these notes coming out of it. The guy standing next to him is like, "Oh man, you sound great." And the other one is just this dude laying down this backbeat, and he's like, "You're, you're hired." hired. <laughs> oh, I, that's brilliant. That's a brilliant picture. And, and you know what? Reality nowadays, it's the truth. Yeah. And a lot of uh, major artists are starting to fire guys. Or not even hire guys that are playing too many notes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, now that I'm in this industry and I'm getting a little bit more connected, people people talk, and you know you hear of people losing great gigs because they're not doing what the artist wants. Right. And and there's artists, there's musicians and drummers that I look up to that I'm hearing losing gigs, and I'm like, man, that I can't. There's I can't even compare myself to these drummers and. But the problem is, is that you know if we don't if we don't play the music, sometimes there is no gig, you mm-hmm. know, and and you got to think about that, you know, what pays, what puts money in the pocket is pocket. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And I think unfortunately, we've gone through a transition in in, in music, and, and not unfortunately, but we've gone through a transition in music where things are being misrepresented misrepresented because I'm seeing guys post stuff on YouTube and I'm watching comments of guys shredding and putting notes everywhere and there'll be comments like wow your pocket's sick and I'm like well I didn't hear pocket where that you know where was the pocket so I think there's definitely things have gotten blurry Um, because even though I'm young in this game as far as being a known musician. Um, How old are you? I'm 37. 37? Okay. That, and that's what I was leading to. It's like, I'm young in this game, but I've been around music for a long time. Right. And, and and so, you know, the guys I idolize, I mean, you talk about when I was coming up was Jeff Carl, David Garibaldi, you know, Gadsden, um, Clyde Stubblefield, stuff like that. Those are the guys that I, I remember listening to. And I mean, man, listen to any James Brown record. There's no licks, you know? It's just, it might be some stuff on a hi-hat, but it's just like, oh man, to me that's just so sick. And when they can hold that for so long, you know, it's it's amazing, just that groove. There's some, there's a few James Brown songs that it, it's almost comical, like how much it doesn't move. Oh yeah. And it's, so, uh, it's just like. But it's sick. It's so good. That's, right? That's what I'm saying. And it's just like. What a feeling it gives and you. And it's like, I can't believe they can play this for five minutes. 
straight. Or longer. Or longer. And it sounds exactly the same, but it sounds so amazing that it doesn't get old. It doesn't get old. Like, uh, just like, you can just keep it going for 10 more minutes. That's what I'm talking about, you know? And, and there's certain guys that have that skill, even nowadays, and it's like, oh man, that's, that's brilliant. And to yeah. me, that's brilliant. To me, and then this is my I, opinion. I totally you know agree. I mean? uh, we're on the same page with that because yeah. I, I, you know, like the YouTube thing really gets me. You know, when you see all these guys with these blazing licks and everything, and it's like that's cool, but like nobody's hot, nobody's calling you to say, "Hey, man, I need some really crazy licks on this gig." You know, it's like in, I remember an interview with Indugo that he was like, "I've never gotten called to do a drum solo ever." Oh. You know, Jeff Picaro said the same thing. He, yes. said, he's, he said, I don't even remember ever doing a drum solo ever in my life. Mm-hmm. And they asked him, they were like, ever? He was like, no, I don't, I don't really remember one. Which is just, which is nuts, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely, I mean, look at Questlove. You yep. know, Questlove is not known for licks. He's not known for that. And I've seen people even, you know, say negative things about, but you cannot talk, you can never talk bad about Questlove's pocket, his groove. I mean, the guy's a drum machine, yeah. and he's one of my favorites to listen to. Mine just be, just because he can lay in there and he'll he'll do the same thing. I mean, I just seen him play with uh, Steve Roney and the Average White Band guys, and man, it's just like all he did was just sitting in there, and yeah. I was like, wow, that's just so refreshing. Especially after watching a contest, you know, guys were amazing, but just to hear that, it's like, oh man, it's hey, fresh to the, the ears. The drum off thing, drum off, right. guitar center, drum yeah. off. How was that? It was fun, man. Yeah. A lot of talented kids, man. These guys are amazing. They're blazing on the set. Right, right, you know? right. Right. So going back to Questlove, I have you know I have a love for. I'm originally from Philly, so like I grew up listening to the Roots and. Oh yeah. You know, so like always, I grew up listening to hip hop, but especially the Roots because just because of the they had a live band from Philly. You right. Know? So like I've been following Quest for years, man. He's, yeah. he's definitely uh, definitely on the top of the list in terms of favorite drummers. Absolutely, same here. And uh, he has a. Did you hear that the Philadelphia experiment that he's on? Yes, I love that record. Love it. Totally good record. Um, so say you know somebody's listening to this and they're 16, 17, and you know they're looking at somebody like you with the at the success that you have, and you're you know you're playing in front of 20, 30, 40,000 people a night. How do you suggest that they try to bridge that gap between where they're at now and getting there? Because I think it's a long road, but I don't think it's an impossible road. It's not impossible. <clears throat> it does definitely takes a lot of legwork, um, but I think that's it. To me, to me, in any in, for any instrument, I think you're. It's inside of you. Like if you know, for example, for me, drums. I know I'm meant to do this. You know, I knew I always knew drums would be a part of my life. There is a part of my life that I, I was not even close to the music business because I had to make money, I had to survive. But it, I was born with this because I feel like you can't teach feel. Mm-hmm. You can teach skills, you can learn rudiments, you can learn you know, playing, but there's a feel, man. And it's like you either have it or you don't. I mean, you can, you can learn to get as close as possible to having right. that, that developed skill. But I feel like feel comes from within because mm-hmm. it's an expression. It's art. And this is just my opinion, by the way. And, and I feel like um, having this feeling inside, if you know that this is what you're meant to do, you were put on this earth to play guitar, bass, keys, drums, 
you play with your heart and you keep playing. You know, I tell guys, guys ask me this question all the time. It's like, hey man, put yourself out there. You know, go get gigs around town. Go to Guitar Center if you have to. There's a board that you can find bands looking for jam. Um, go to jam sessions because um, musicians are there. People are always listening, looking uh, for future musicians. Um, just keep putting yourself out there. The YouTube thing is good too because a lot of people are doing that. But if you're going to do YouTube, then play a song and, and, and show people you can play a song. Mm -hmm. You know, don't necessarily have to solo over the song, but play the song right. so people can see, oh man, okay, this cat knows what he's doing. Right, he can play the groove. Right, he can play the groove. Oh, night, I like that transition into the pre-chorus. Oh man, all right, he opened up on the chorus. He's dynamic. Show stuff like that. Because um, a lot of drum covers are cool, but then a lot of drum covers, guys, just shedding all over the tracks and, and licks everywhere, which I like to watch as a drummer. Right. Because I'm like, man, that's cool. How do you do that? But I think if I was an artist or an MD looking for a musician, mm -hmm. I'm probably going to look for some someone holding down a groove because right. that's the guy I want to hire or a girl. So put yourself out there. Try to land gigs. When I first moved to Los Angeles from Hawaii, I landed my first gig uh, when it was a major label art act. And, and I, I found it in, in the Music Connection, which is a mag we have here in, mm -hmm. in California. And uh, I'm sure there's something like it everywhere. And sign band seeks drummer. I audition. I got the gig. You know, do auditions, do all that stuff. So put yourself out there. People got to see who you are to hear you. Mm -hmm. And especially in places like L.A., which is a big pond. Philly's got a huge music scene. You know, New York. Mm -hmm. So you know, wherever you're at, put yourself on a map somehow. And get heard, but get heard right. Right. And networking. And networking is huge. You know, but not net not like the. I like when guys come up to me and, and they, they introduce me and they tell me they're a drummer and and, and that's cool, you know, right. but we don't, huh, how do you say this, like, I love meeting people, I love meeting other musicians that share the same passion and I, I'll talk to you and, I, and I'll give you as much advice as I can give because right. I'm still growing in this industry and I'm still learning every day, but... You know, we can't be instant friends. Right, right. We can't be instant net, uh, internet friends. Sure. Um, but if I have the time and, I, and I, I'm able to see your question and I can help you, I'll do it. But networking is huge. It is. Mm -hmm. You know, but be tactful with your networking, you know. Um, yeah, I think that networking, some, I mean, it gets like, it gets a bad rap because it sounds sleazy a little bit, you know, where people are like, you know, if it's, if it's genuine and it's, my approach for everything is like, how can I help you? Right. You know, and maybe down the line I may need something. You can help me with something. But I'm I, my form of networking is what can, what can I do for you? Right. You know, to help you along your way, and then right. it'll come back. To, it'll come exactly. Back to you, you know. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are always like, hey man, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? Which gives networking a bad name, you know. And that, and you know, and the same questions pop up, and and, and a lot of trust me, a lot of questions I had, I get it, like right. I get it. And now we have this resource with the internet that connects us a lot easier than before. Mm -hmm. So it's totally understandable. I don't knock it. I don't hate on it. Um, I'm just saying to you know be be tactful about it. Right. And you know. There's guys out there, and I, I look at as much as I can see of people wanting to talk to me, I, I try to respond the best I can. Right. Because, trust me, I'm not, I'm not 
at all on a pedestal and I'm not at a certain level, I'm happy and humbled and blessed to be where I'm at now, but I don't take it for granted because right. three years ago, I was not in this position and I wasn't getting interviewed and I wasn't playing on major stages. Um, so I know where I come from right. and I'll never lose that. I, right. I, that's because I'm 37 years old. I'm too old for these, for BS. Right. <laughs> now my son's got his walkie-talkie out. <laughs> And it, I mean, and plus you're busy too. You know, it's not like, um, you know, you said with people sending you messages. Up, first of all, I'm sure you get a ton of emails and messages. And but not only that, you're busy. You're touring. You're you're with your family. You're working on different things. You have different projects going on. You know, so it's not like if you don't respond to somebody that absolutely that you're not busy. You know, absolutely. I mean, there's times where there's time. I mean, you know. Because of my connection to Bruno, I, I get a lot of Bruno fan messages too that are right. non-music related. It's, right, right, right. Say, I, tell your brother I love him, or tell right. Bruno I love him. You know, tell him to respond to me. He should he should post more on Facebook. So I get over inundated with these non-musical, non-professional posts. Right. Sometimes the real good ones get lost in the mix in the shuffle, yeah. in the shuffle. so it's like sometimes there's days where I have to go through things and, and find stuff that is related to me mm -hmm. you know pursuant to me so that I can oh man I missed it you know like right. oh no I gotta respond to this guy cause this this guy's legit like this is musical this is a professional question or a professional message right. I should say um you know, nothing wrong with the fans. I, I, I'm grateful to them, but sometimes it's just so much that I miss stuff that is business related. Right. You know, and trust me, man. I, I tell this to musicians all the time, like, <clears throat> and even the younger musicians, come to me anytime. Like, if you see me, I'll never like shun you. Right. I'll I'll talk to you right. if I have the time. Let's talk. I'll I'll give you the best advice I can give you. Right. You know, for sure. what I know. You know, I don't know everything yet, and I, I don't know if I'll ever know everything, but whatever I can share, I'm, I'm so willing to share. So, you know, but networking, I mean, but when we, when we talking about this stuff, networking is super important, like, but it's also how you present yourself, because I know when guys come, and even I've, I've watched guys network, you know, on, the, on, a, on a big scale. It's, it's all how you present yourself that's going to make yourself memorable to this person, want to like you and want to talk with you and interact with you. So mm -hmm. it's all on the presentation. You know, if you bomb them messages or, or, for example, let's use Facebook, tag videos, you know, and then I don't get bothered by that except when I'm overseas and like there's t video tags and then like people are commenting and I'm getting charged on my cell phone because I'm seeing all these tags. Like, oh man, my girl's gonna go like crazy. <laughs> Other than that, I love to see people play. I'm right. not, you know, I I, re I YouTube research all the time. I watch right. people play. I watch friends play, and there's a lot of talent out there. So I'm not knocking. I'm just saying, like, I'm being realistic. I'm gonna have this expensive data roaming bill, right. you know, because I keep getting tagged in these things. So I'm just a real person with bills, man. Right? Yeah, absolutely. You were talking about um, some business things, and I know that. Um, you recently came out with the headphones. Yes. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. How did that come? How did that come to fruition? Well, got really lucky with that one because uh, one of the main dudes that works for the company Razor, who manufactures 
um, the headphones, mm-hmm. is uh, also a drummer. So he reached out to me, we got in touch with me, and Razer Corporation is a gaming company. You know, they make products for gamers, keyboards, uh, peripherals, headsets, and stuff like that. And I guess, you know, they've got a pretty, they've got a real good hold on the gaming market. And they believe in their product so much that they wanted to cross over into music. And so the idea was, hey, let's find a musician who's working out there that can represent, you know, let's collaborate on something. Mm-hmm. So when they came with, to me with the idea, I thought it was a brilliant idea. Um, and uh, we decided to work on a headset together, me with Razer. And when I got their sample headsets, I realized that it was so good. And I was like, well, how is this headphone so good? And it's not that expensive. Well, gamers are like musicians. You know, gamers are, are they geek out on sound mm-hmm. and they like sound detail from lows to mids and highs. So they have, they, they appreciate good sounding headsets, right. speakers, whatever. <clears throat> so I was like, okay, well, I put my name to this. Mm-hmm. And so I did a licensing deal with, with Razer where we're going to call it the E-Panda because that's my nickname. The E-Panda uh, Hooligan headset, Hooligan based on our fans, mm-hmm. you know, um, they call, our band's called the Hooligans, so the fans name themselves the Hooligans, so, you know, fans. So I wanted to kind of have something that puts me out there, but uh, brands me, E-Panda, puts my logo on it with this headset, but also gives back to the, the fans, because, you right. know, ultimately, right now, they're my market. Um, so I collaborated with them. We took one of their existing headsets and I put my design on it, color scheme, my logo, and we got something that we we both liked, myself and the Razor Corp, and we put it out. Nice. Um, it's not some it's not something I did to to make money. Of course, mm-hmm. money's great, um, but it's something I did to to brand myself, and I think that's something that young musicians or any musician should should know. At this day and age, there's so much talent out there, and there's so many great musicians and guys that have skills beyond mm-hmm. and, and, and above that you need to brand yourself and find your marketable market. And, and for me, you know, okay, here's headsets. Yes, it's a oversaturated market. You've got Beats by Dre. You've got everything else. There's just so much out there. But it was an opportunity for me to put ePanda out there. And it's another wow. avenue. Why not? Um, and, you know, they're doing okay. Um, and, and I'm still pushing them. And, and I'll, I'll probably represent them because they sound good. And they look good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it goes back to, okay, so now these headsets are out there. My logo's out there. E-Panda's out there. I'll move into another avenue of, you know, whether it's apparel or, or some, some kind of drum accessory in the future right. something to keep me going because you know what there may be a day where I go on hiatus playing music well I want something else to work on right pardon me one second hey can we play this over there because that noise is going to interrupt our inter- my conversation so take this to the room of mommy please are you going to turn it all the way off okay see the thing is with my son here is that I'm on the road so much lately. Fortunately, when I come home, we're very attached, and he, he's very attached, so he wants to sit in, in between us. But okay, back to the, <clears throat> back to the interview. So, 
with the headsets again, it, uh, and when talking, it's like you got to make yourself a, a market, a marketable person, whether in your field. It's I like Quest Love. I hear song. I can hear song. I know because Daddy's talking right now. No one's wanting your song. Okay, one second. Yeah, let me take you to mommy. Okay, because son. Okay, can you play with no sound? Can you play with no sound for me? Here, we'll put it on one. There. So let's let's say Quest Love, for example. He he made himself. Um, he established himself and marketed himself where if he walked into Starbucks. A non-musician, Joe Schmo, is gonna be like, "Oh, that's that guy from the Roots, or that's right. that guy from Jimmy Fallon, or that's right. that drummer." Mm -hmm. It's smart. It's brilliant. That's the guy with the afro. Or that's the guy with the afro with the pick. With the pick. Yeah. Travis Barker. Yeah. You know, he branded himself. He has his clothing line. He has other successful ventures. You know that he's done, and that's 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 what I feel like. You know, use your, use where you're at. And your success to to build a brand, build a right. name, because you know at this point, there's guys that can kill me on this gig and and can outplay me, but I want to brand myself. Why am I the one for this gig? A, and with this gig, I'm gonna reach out and 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 get to other people by branding myself, so that you know. And I'm not looking for fame. I'm not right. looking for walking into the coffee shop and being known, but I'm looking for how do I build a business? Sure, with me. And I think today's day and age, that has to be done. I always bring this up with a lot of conversations I've had with people. Like if you look at Hal Blaine years ago, I mean he had a yacht and mm -hmm. mansion and all this stuff from playing sessions. But like those days are gone. Yep. You know, and, and playing six days a week, playing three gigs a day, and all, like all that stuff is gone. And even guys, I mean yourself included, the guys that are, I mean you guys are at the top, you know, and and there's a lot of guys that are out there that are playing these major, major gigs that – are doing other things too, you know, to keep to keep money coming in or to you know to generate money while you're not on the road, Absolutely. things like that. And I think nowadays you have to be an entrepreneur, you know, in, Absolutely. in every way. I so. mean, you know, a friend in common, Rich Redmond, is a perfect example. Mm -hmm. You know, he has his crash course for success. Yeah. He's a worldwide clinician. Mm -hmm. You know, and guys that have that, like there's guys Thomas Lang, for example. I just had a conversation with him. I mean, he's found his niche. That's his market. Yeah. He can go travel. And have these drum competitions or people wanting to attend his schools. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Yeah. And, and and he's known for that. That's great. Same for me. You know, I, what can I do to keep money on the table, keep food in my family's stomachs, right. and keep a roof over our heads? If, you know, this music business is so tricky. Yes, I'm in a one of the most successful groups at the moment. Um can will there be longevity? I, I pray every day that this is a long-lasting gig and, and it doesn't go away. But we know this mark, this business, and you know sometimes it's here today, gone tomorrow, and yeah. you have to make sure you, you know, you can't leave all your eggs in one basket. You know, sure. going, if you want to use that, um, and you know, even if even if let's say we don't die out. You can see already, like the days of Hal Blaine are are almost gone in studios. There's no mm -hmm. work. 
for yeah. working musicians at times. Sometimes, I mean, even in this gig, there's been times when upper management wanted to have a TV performance done with just backing tracks. And fortunately, Bruno is an artist that would not, never do that. I shouldn't even say management. TV stations don't want you to bring your full ensemble sometimes. So it's like, uh, you know, we can be forced out of gigs. Right. You know, and fortunately I have a brother, boss that, no, I come with my band. This is how I roll. Mm-hmm. I'm a live musician. I, this is how I play. But that, my point is that, you know, there could be a day where drums are obsolete. Right. Live drums. Yeah. Live music. <clears throat> so we've, it looked like it was going that way. And, you know, you see the yeah. studios like that. You know, and it seems like now, luckily, it seems like it's coming back. It's coming back. You know, like now, even all like the, you know, a lot of the pop stars years ago didn't. You know, it looked like it was like, oh man, there's gonna be. Oh, it's refreshing. There's gonna Isn't be no it? drums now. Everybody's using a lot. Excuse me, live drums again. Even the hip hop acts are going out with live drums. Absolutely. And, and to me, that's the best hip hop, man. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, me you too. Know? Yeah, if you're gonna. I, I'm not into going to a hip hop show. There's no live. I, I love a yes, live band. Absolutely. So you were saying, you know, what's you could be here today, gone tomorrow, kind of thing. What's your, what's your, uh, what's plan? What's your plan for you? What's what's next? Not in terms of if something happens with the with the Bruno gig, but I mean, what do you, what are your, what do you want to do in the next couple of years? What's your, what are your goals? You know, my goals um, is 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 the branding, mm-hmm. ePanda, you know, ePanda LLC, which I I've developed. And whether I'm in the headphone market or if one day, you know, your wife, your future wife, girlfriend, your kid, future kid is wearing E-Panda apparel or you're playing an E-Panda drum head or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. I want to keep the movement going, you know, and I want to capitalize on this moment to get that brand out there right because you know if the music stops tomorrow did i make enough of a dent to where people are familiar with me Mm -hmm. my brand and they want to keep it in their household or keep it in the studio or you know whatever it is right so i'm focused on that because you can't sleep man you can't sleep on on opportunity absolutely you have to keep you have to keep the movement going it's up to you as an individual Mm -hmm. and uh and, and and it's it's easy to to get comfortable. Right. Like <clears throat> in the beginning with the Bruno stuff, I got the t- when when we started playing in 2010, it was pretty sparse in the very beginning because it's just look promo sh- dates here and there. Well, <clears throat> I was nervous of getting too comfortable with this gig and not and not taking other gigs. So I took other gigs. So I had an opportunity to play with Tyle Cruz and did a mm-hmm. few TV dates with him. And it was completely different. It's dance music. But you know what? I wanted to get outside of my box and make sure I'm comfortable going back and auditioning for gigs again, getting gigs, and playing the gigs. Because I don't want to get too com- too stuck in, in one thing. Right. And it's like today. I practice as much as I can because I want to get better. There's guys out there that run circles around me. Well, I need to keep doing what I do, but I need to keep my A game up. Right. So I'll, I want to constantly practice. So that's part of my branding, mm-hmm. you know, practicing being known for what I'm known for, what I bring to the table. I want I would love for someone to say like how we big. Well, how we up to quest love. If someone says that about E Panda one day or Eric Hernandez, 
that's great. Right. And I've accomplished something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, and that's just using him as an example. Jeff Picaro. I would love that. Yeah. You know? He's all right. So, <clears throat> yeah. If you, had, if you had one piece of advice to give to people that were coming up trying to, trying to make it in the, in the music industry, what would you tell them? Be humble. Be you. Be a good listener. And uh, be willing to adapt. You know, to the situation. Um, and I'll, I'll, use an, I'll use an example of adapt, adapting. You know, when I first, I'll use Bruno. When we first started, I was so excited to be able to play out <clears throat> and play live and in front of people. I had the wrong drum set for the gig, you know, at the time. Um, because I was so stuck on my kit and how I had it set up at home. I had kind of a fusion set up. Mm-hmm. So doing Bruno music with the whole fusion kit, eh, it didn't really make sense. Even even aesthetically, how it looked with the music we were playing, you know, and the, when you talk, when you go back to the first album and the songs that were, it just wasn't appropriate for the gig. You know, I eight inch tom, um, small cymbals. <clears throat> and it took a little bit of of growing up, even mm-hmm. at this point in my life, it's like, man, what am I doing? Okay, no, we're playing bigger stages, more rock feel on some of these songs in this album. You know what? And once I got it, one up, two down, right. you know, larger floor toms, 12-inch rack, um, larger cymbals. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, man, you know, we're playing these bigger crowds. Okay, I need big cymbals to to project. And, and so my point is, is you look at whatever gig you're working for, and if you get the gig, you, you play it appropriately, you set up appropriately. This is, again, all my opinion. You set up appropriately, aesthetically, because there's a look. Artists nowadays want to look, mm-hmm. you know, and you want to fit. If you're in a rock scene, you're not going to have a fusion kit or whatever, unless that's the look your band is going for. But there's a look, and there's a sound. You know, why am I going to have an 8-inch Tom on a song like Marry You? Right. Or, you know, and if you know that song, and, and, and it's, it's a very rock or 50s-esque vibe. The second album, Unorthodox Jukebox, had a little more R&B feel. There's some, you know, some bluesier songs. There's reggae on it. So, okay, so now I'm going to change my setup. Now I put a 10-inch Tom. I set two rack Toms. I'm still conscious of what my gig is and I'm still conscious of what sounds I need mm-hmm. to produce and how it's still going to look right. So I just suggest to people, hey, you know, if you get a certain gig and if it's an R&B gig, cool, set up an, you know, R&B, well, you're comfortable playing A, but also what fits the music and sounds that fit the music, you know what I mean? And uh, keep practicing, keep putting yourself out there as much as you can and and just be humble through this whole experience because, you know, we're in, we're talking today, but something can happen and I can lose this gig, to, you know, tomorrow. Right. And I'm back to, all right, I got to get my name back out there and start auditioning. And, you know, if that's what it is, that's what it is, mm-hmm. you know, but just stay on your A game. And I just like, I like dealing with musicians that stay humble, right. you know, because there's a lot, so many great musicians out there and, you know, make yourself stand out, you know. Don't be cocky. Be the nice guy that can play. Right. And and it's always wanting to be better. Right. So I know I rambled a little bit, but no, nah, man. I think that's I think that's great advice for anybody listening, man. I think uh, I think people get a lot out of that. 
cool. especially coming from somebody like you. So, thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for doing this. I think that's a good place to stop. I think we got a ton of information and awesome. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, Nick. Good Thank luck you. on the Super Bowl. Thank you. Yeah, man. We'll, we'll be watching definitely. All right. Yeah, Why I'm excited. I think. Do you want to say that? bye? Say bye to everybody. You gotta say it. They can't see you. Say bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs> All right, that's Little Panda signing out. <laughs> so there you have it. The very cool, the very humble, the very informative Eric Hernandez. Be sure to check him out this Sunday, February 2nd, Super Bowl 48. He will be playing at the halftime show with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which is going to be awesome. So glad I got to spend the day with him and his son at his house, and it was just a, it was a great time. Be sure to check us out at drummersresource.com or facebook.com forward slash drummersresource. If you want to get at me directly, you can reach me at Twitter at Nick underscore Ruffini, R-U-F-F-I-N-I. And if you could, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a message or leave us a rating. I would really, really, really appreciate it. Check out epandaondrums.com. That's epandaondrums.com if you want to learn more about Eric and his headphones and a bunch of different things. And I'll also put a bunch of links about Eric and everything that you'll need to know in the show notes. And that's drummersresource.com forward slash session 16. And until then, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I'll talk to you soon. Peace.